it's every now and again I look at my child and I go, you'd be quite good on a roll. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Part one. Feeling fancy. Hey everyone, welcome back to uh, Duncan and Bo Come Correct. I almost forgot the name of our show for a minute. It's been <laughs> you've turned it into me. I know. Uh, I'm, I, it's the Jamie Jenkins syndrome, um, <laughs> where I just lose all concept of reality and time, <laughs> uh, and then make up words. That <laughs> those are the the main symptoms. But it's uh, uh, been uh, an extra week in between recordings, largely due to uh, some issues I had last weekend. But uh, how have you been, sir? How are you feeling? I I have been excellent. Um, just podcasting and watching movies, really. Although we're going through an unseasonably warm spell in, in uh, Scotland at the moment. Like, temperatures are getting quite high for uh, this country. So I, I don't dig the heat at all. I'm not... I'm not one of these people that enjoys heat, so I've been spending even more time indoors trying to avoid the sun. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 we've established on this show previously that you prefer, one might call it a cave-like environment. Oh yes, very much so. Yeah, I'm I'm not, I, my favourite time of year is um, what Americans would call the fall, basically, or autumn and winter over here. Um where everything just goes, you know, the, the, the nights come in quicker, um, temperatures are generally a lot cooler, um, and that's my ideal setting. And if I could live in a country that just had that all year round, I would be a happy man. Yeah, I, you know, you might be the, the like the logical middle step between normal people and, say, the descent creatures. <laughs> of just cold yeah. and dark, you know, cannibals. Pretty much. Yeah, I'm not far off a cannibal. Yeah. <laughs> I look at it every now and again. I look at my child and I go, "You'd be quite good on a roll, <laughs> <laughs> on a baguette." If I was feeling fancy. Well, yeah. I mean, if you if you want to make a day of it, <laughs> uh, and, and as as quite the baker, you know, that's something that mm-hmm. you could get into. Uh, you know, ah, I never thought of that. In in America, we have I, I'm not sure if it, it translates across the pond, as they say, uh, something called a pig in a blanket. Yeah, that's a sausage thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like sausage or uh, like a hot dog or sausage just wrapped in dough. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, oh, they're delicious. Uh, I mean, it's just chock full of nitrates, which I think gives you superpowers. I don't, <laughs> I don't have the science on that, but I, I firmly believe enough nitrates makes you some sort of X-Man. Yeah, it must make you... Isn't that what they use in, uh, in things like the Fast and the Furious? Isn't that the button they press? Isn't yeah. that nitrates? Nitrates, right. <laughs> it, it makes, just, so it makes you very fast. Yeah, it just jams a hot dog right into the, the engine. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, we, we've solved a lot of problems already. But let's, uh, l- let's talk about uh, any movie, uh, aside from the ones we're going to discuss today, that you've seen recently that... Uh, got you fired up one way or the other. Really liked it, really hated it. Anything uh, crossing your desk? Yeah, um, I got a screener of All Cheerleaders Die, which is the new Lucky McKee film. Sure. Um, I'm a big fan of his work. Really like it. The Woman was a phenomenal film, and this is his, his first film back since then. And um, I went in with very, very high hopes, and unfortunately it's not a, not a very good film. Oh, uh, shame. Which is a bit, it's a bit soul destroying. Um, it's a remake. It's, he did it as a joint partnership with a guy called Chris Sievertson, um, who uh, Lucky and himself both did this film already in two thousand and one as a college film, 
and this is him revisiting it now. I get the feeling, I love the, some of the ideas in it, I love the the kind of playing against high school stereotypes, which you do with their characters, which is quite good. I love the fact that it's actually set in a high school, which we don't see much in horror movies anymore. Um, so I love that side of things. A couple of big things let it down. It's supposed to be, I think it's supposed to be a horror comedy, and it's not particularly strong either way. It just kind of, you know that it is a dangerous line anyway to, to kind of straddle yeah. between horror and comedy. I don't think it does either one particularly well. And because it's not particularly high budget, they use a lot of CGI, and it's very much like... Have you ever seen a television program, Charmed? Yes. Yes, that's what it looks like. It's like Charmed-style CGI, and unfortunately that brings me out of it. Um, it's not the worst thing I've seen. Uh, there's some entertaining sequences. There's lesbians in it, which is always a tick. Sure, um, sure. But... Unfortunately, it's just not the film I was kind of... It's not the film I was wanting and not the film I expected someone who has been on the upswing, really. Lucky McKee's just been going from strength to strength to kind of commit to, and he wants to really make a franchise out of this. And I just don't know if that's going to happen or not. I did interview him, though, and he is a thoroughly nice gentleman. Like, really, really, really nice guy. Um, and I could see where he was coming from through the interview, what he wanted to do. I just don't think it's particularly well executed. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, well, let me uh, let me match your uh, somewhat disappointed experience with one of mm-hmm. my own. Ooh. But in a, a slightly reverse fashion, in that you in particular, I would recommend the film to, even Ooh, though right. it's not a great movie. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's a movie called Dead Shadows. It's a French film. All right. And it is very Lovecraftian. Uh, the the general premise is that a a young man is in Paris at the time of a comet passing, like going through the atmosphere of Earth, like kind of skimming across the atmosphere. But of course, that doesn't happen. It lands, and what happens is everybody becomes psychotic mutants. And Ooh. yeah, right. And so the premise just fine. It's got more Lovecraftian flavor than most movies based on Lovecraft stories do, mm-hmm. uh, especially given the, uh, the, uh, the the look of the mutants. You know, there's a lot of uh, tentacles and so forth. And it's not a great movie. It, it's real disjointed. It feels like a, a freshman film. I haven't I haven't gone to check to see if the director's done anything before or since. But the CGI is actually pretty good, mm-hmm. and it has some very striking imagery. I, it it's it it just feels a little half baked. Is all. Yeah, yeah. But I would I would recommend it to you only because there are moments that are very striking. Cool. Well, I'll definitely. I like French cinema, so yeah, and and it has the added benefit of only being about like an hour fifteen, hour twenty, something like that. And oh, yeah, it, but it's a movie strangely that could have benefited from another fifteen minutes. Yeah, uh, yeah, of, I know what you mean. Filling in some of the gaps because it felt very clunky, but mm-hmm. uh, but really interesting. I was I was. As I was watching it, I thought, man, this is almost a really awesome movie. Yeah, yeah. And and it's all the more frustrating because it falls a bit short. And uh, so and I, I sympathize with your, your Lucky McKee because I love Lucky McKee as well. I thought, yeah, yeah. you know, May is genius. Uh, I, I certainly love uh, The Woman. I think that's just, oh, man, 
the woman I think is really fun- good. Yeah, such a phenomenal film. And I think um, it's funny because he keeps getting lumped with this this accusation that his films are misogynistic. And the woman is not. I don't know how anyone could even claim that it's misogynistic when you see what happens to the the very, very forceful male characters in the film. I, I don't understand how you could throw that accusation with them, unless you didn't watch the film to the end. Yeah, yeah. I guess if you hit the abort button halfway through, you would think that the father uh, in that film is is maybe the central character. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah, and and even May I think is a very feminist film. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, all cheerleaders die is the same as well. It's about female characters which have been something bad's happened to them as a result of male car- characters, and they take their revenge upon them. It's the same premise. It's just like I say, if he. Di- if he tackled it with maybe less of the kind of comedy that he was trying to put in it and played it a bit more straight, I think the film would have worked brilliant. But what are you going to do? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Ooh. We're going to talk about a field in England, sir. Oh, yes. Part two, the most interesting filmmaker from the UK. And we're back. And the film I have chosen first for Bo is a film which means a great deal to me because the director is none other than Ben Wheatley. And I must be like chairman of the Ben Wheatley Appreciation Society. Um, This was his last film. It came out in 2013 and it was called A Field in England. The synopsis is amid the civil war in 17th century England, a group of deserters flee from the battle through an overgrown field. Captured by an alchemist, the men are forced to help him search to find a hidden treasure that he believes is buried in the field. So, Bo, what did you make of this head fuck? Uh, Yes, it is certainly that. (laughs) Um, This is a movie in which the characters do mushrooms. Yes. And the viewer is taken along for the ride. And it is much like the closing moments of uh, Kubrick's 2001 Yes, it it is that kind of trippy, mm-hmm. uh, it, but almost more successful, I think, in terms of capturing what a drug trip is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly with the the use of um, uh, the voices, like the ADR of the voices, and one scene in particular. But uh, but to go back to the to the general impressions of the film, so I like Ben Wheatley a whole bunch myself, and I think. This may be my favorite of his movies. Ooh. Uh, which is strange because it's the most challenging narratively. Uh, mm-hmm. There are things about the movie I don't understand, but I, I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah. It, it almost strikes me as being like impressionist art. Yes. Where not everything is representative of a real life analog, it is just this blend of images. I, and the reason I love it so much, it has the single most frightening to me image I've seen in a movie in a long, long time. And in in the course of the film, there's uh, the I guess main character is uh, a, an alchemist apprentice named Whitehead. Yes, and. There's a point where, uh, is it O'Reilly? Is that the name of, of, uh, sort of his, his quarry, uh, as he calls it, the, uh, the, the one that keeps being referred to as devil throughout the movie. Um, um, um O'Neill, 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 O'Neill. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, who was also in, um, Kill List. 
That's right, yeah. And uh, I think he's a really good actor. I think he has a little bit more chance to sort of shine in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I also really like the fact that uh, at, at one point, one of the characters says, uh, you, you, would, you would expect that the devil would be Irish. Um, I thought that was very funny. But so um, O'Neill is uh, Whitehead is supposed to find O'Neill, who has taken off with uh, papers that belong to Whitehead's master, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the alchemist who is apparently of ill health. And and so that's sort of his his motivation throughout the course of the film. But when he runs into O'Neill, O'Neill says, hey, there's a treasure buried somewhere in this field and you're going to find it for me. Even though I don't like you, Mm -hmm. you possess talents that I need. Yeah. And then O'Neill takes him into a tent. Oh, yes. That's bit some. Oh, God. And you hear this horrifying screaming. And when Whitehead emerges, he is bound by this rope harness with this mad grin on his face. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is the most haunting thing I've seen in a movie in a long time. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. That scene is the stuff of nightmares. And it, it it's a very esoteric kind of horror that this movie engages in, but I would certainly drop it into that genre. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of moments in this movie where Wheatley arranges the actors as if it is a almost like a a, a Rembrandt painting or yes. a Vermeer, something like that. This very classical kind of, of uh, look to the framing. And yet you can tell that the actors are standing in real time because you can see their subtle movements and things like that. But they hold this position kind of inexplicably. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of this movie, is that it's all this imagery that is just meant to kind of unnerve you and, and kind of get into your subconscious a little bit more so than being a rational story that you can kind of puzzle out. And, and, you know, there are characters who die and then inexplicably come back and yeah, there's all this kind of weird shit going on, but it all combines to leave as a viewer. I was just like, this is almost an existentialist hell. Mm-hmm. that we're looking at and um i i'm i've been you know mulling it over in my head there there are things that i i have ascribed meaning to that i am not yeah. sure if, if it's accurate or not but i think this movie goes a long way to saying that ben wheatley is not only one of the more talented directors working in uh certainly genre cinema if not cinema in general um he's also one of the bravest yeah. Uh, to put out a movie like this that is, you know, uh, like I said, it's almost Kubrickian in its density and, and unwillingness to make the viewer comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, and provide something that's a, a natural narrative. But uh, the performances are really good. There's a lot of just weird shit that goes on that's fascinating to turn over in your head. Uh, it's a very a cerebral movie. Uh, or maybe not. It could just be a bunch of nonsense. I don't know. But <laughs> it felt like there is a comment being made about the state of England. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am just not familiar enough with the ins and outs of, of English politics to point to something specifically and say, 
oh, he's making a comment about this. But there's yeah. clearly the implication of sort of the everyman. Like, the, the, there's a, a character uh, that is sort of the peasant yes. of the film and, and says <laughs> that uh, he was once told that there's just fresh air between his head, but that's uh, between his ears, but that's good for the Constitution. Yeah, <laughs> and and there's a, a moment where O'Neill tells Whitehead that uh, he's an envelope just waiting to be filled by something, mm-hmm. and and things like that. So there's a lot of dialogue that certainly points to a larger meaning that I don't know if I quite get, but I'm okay with that because it's fun to think about. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the, the the main thing for me is I've seen this film three times now, and every time I've watched it, I kind of take something else away. From the viewing, uh, I've never felt the same way twice watching it. I've enjoyed it all three times, but I've never, I've never left with the same exactly the same experience I had in the prior time watching it. Um, like you say, I, I mean, there's a couple of returning uh, kind of weekly actors. Obviously, O'Neill was just like you said he was in um, Sightseers, No Sightseers, Kill List. But friend, the the peasant guy, Richard Glover, he's the main serial killer in Sightseers. Oh, I didn't even recognise him. Yeah, in that he's role. just he's just very very grubby. And um, Whitehead is played by Reese Shearsmith, who is the dude from the League of Gentlemen. So he's a you know big character actor. Um, anyway, and in the documentary footage I've seen of the making of the film, he actually says that it's quite strange that the guy O'Neill, friend, and Whitehead are all by trade comedians that's mm-hmm. what they are um and to bring them over to these roles where there's not there's no comedy and they're playing very straight i mean i've always thought Rishi shearsmith was an excellent actor anyway he does a lot of horror he's in a particular good film called the uh, well i say good funny weird film called the cottage which if you've not seen that's going on a future list because it's it's basically britain's take on like the hills have eyes it's fucking funny as fuck um, <laughs> yeah it's really 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 good um but yeah that that sequence you're talking about when i saw that the first time when he comes out that um out that tent and the the look on his face and um Shishmai says himself uh, when he's interviewed that it was just a gut feeling that's not how it was scripted he was supposed to come out in pain, but he just chose last minute before coming through to put this almost maniacal grin on his face, and for some reason, with the strange trippy music that that plays when he comes out of that, and it's just oh, it's horrific. Um, I love this movie, I th- but then that should be no surprise. I'm I'm constantly banging the drum for Ben Wheatley. I'm just so so happy that you enjoyed it because. Um, like you say, I think that of all Wheatley's films, I think this is the most challenging. And he is quite a challenging director at the best of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is his most challenging. But weirdly, I think, if you were almost getting into Wheatley, this is probably, between this and Sightseers, are probably the easiest ones to get into. Um, I, I think that if, if you start watching Kill List, Kill List will really mess you up the first time you watch it. I think this is slightly easier to follow, even though very much like yourself... I still don't know a lot of what's going on. Um, the film was about 15 years in the making for him, um, from when he originally wrote his ideas down to him actually making it. And um, last note uh, was that this was the first film in the UK to get a simultaneous release on um, VOD on a movie channel over here, which people it's free to the members of the public. It went on sale the same day 
and it went to the cinema. So people could watch it on television, buy a copy, see it in the cinema or pay to see it all on exactly the same day. It's the first time that's ever happened in the UK. Hmm. Uh, any information on how that turned out? Was it profitable did, for him? Did very well. Did very well. Um, I mean, I watched it free on television, but then went and bought a copy anyway. Uh, but I, I, from what I heard, it did. It got very limited cinema release. Most kind of kind of independent cinemas showed it, but um, from what I gather, it, it worked out very well. So it's a blueprint that other directors will be looking at going forward. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting approach, and. Uh, you know, I don't know that I would say this is the movie I would recommend to people no. first in yeah, yeah. Wheatley's. I, oh, I, would, I would start with Sightseers. That, yeah. to me, is the most mainstream of his films. Um, but, yeah, it's... It, I I would love to listen to the director's commentary on this film. Mm-hmm. But part of me doesn't want to know. Yes, very much so. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And but uh, yeah, it's it's an incredibly strong film. It's very surreal. Uh, it's not going to appeal to everyone because it doesn't take any pains to help you as a viewer understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, goes to pretty great lengths to make sure that you are uh, pretty confused. Yeah. Um, as are the characters and. Uh, but yeah, it is. It, there, there are moments that are just uh, absolutely terrifying to me. The, uh, the, and and there's some really good effects in it as well. Uh, the the scene where uh, O'Neill gets shot in the leg mm-hmm. is a particularly gnarly effect. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, because he's getting shot by old, you know, 17th century pistols with mm-hmm. you know that lead ball that comes out of it that is not. Uh, particularly efficient in, in terms of leaving a small hole and it basically <laughs> severs his foot yeah. and, and he ends up dragging himself along in this field. And, and there's this whole notion of, is there a treasure buried, but all they find are bones and maybe that's sort of the treasure. And at yeah. one point Whitehead vomits up stones with some strange marking on it. And, I was like, is that maybe his soul? I don't know what's going on, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah, it, it, that, uh, yet again, a, another good recommendation, although hard to go wrong with Ben Wheatley, it turns out. Um, yeah, at the moment, I think he's uh, I think he's certainly the most interesting filmmaker from the UK. Uh, genuinely, I, and we've spoke before on, on my podcast about the amount of projects he's got coming up and the amount of things he's doing, and I can't wait for every single one of them. I want like his Capaldi Doctor Who episodes to yeah. be black and white and as surreal as this. Oh, could you imagine? They'd be amazing. I know. It would that would be something, and I mean it would turn off eighty five percent of Doctor Who viewers, <laughs> but for people like ourselves, it would be the greatest episode of Doctor Who ever made, <laughs> where the Doctor is just trapped in some time loop and his companions are bleeding, but then come back fine. And uh, uh, oh, and one last thing about this movie, and then we'll 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 move on to Willow Creek. But when uh, a friend is having his dying moments mm-hmm. and is saying, you know, I need you to get back to this alehouse. I want you to find my wife. And, oh, amazing! And tell her I never loved her. <laughs> tell her I burned down her father's farm for making <laughs> making me marry you. 
uh, and and also tell her that I was in love with her sister and that I had her sister several times, like a prized sow. It was, uh, <laughs> taking that deathbed scene and turning it into something that vile and hilarious. Uh, man, Ben Wheatley is, uh, he, he is, he is something else. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, how do you feel about Big Feet? Hey, oh, yeah, well, we'll find out. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be right back with Willow Creek. Part three, Bigfoot Daft. So Willow Creek, the latest film from uh, filmmaker Bobcat Goldthwait, formerly a stand-up comic Bobcat Goldthwait, still currently a, uh, a stand-up comic, is, uh, well, the synopsis uh, says that it's a uh, edge-of-your-seat horror that will make you th- think twice before going into the woods. That's a horrible synopsis. It is a, uh, a story about a couple um, going to Willow Creek, which is in the Pacific Northwest, uh, near the the site of the Patterson-Gimlet film, which is the very famous uh, Bigfoot uh, film with the uh, the Sasquatch moving across the creek bed. Um, and it's about them kind of exploring uh, this area and, and the, the guy wanting to do a documentary about the experience. And it is an interesting film, to say the least. Uh, it was a movie that uh, I did not so much recommend to Duncan based on my love of the film. Neither of us had watched it when we decided uh, to talk about this, but we wanted to talk about it because uh, I think it's safe to say we're both fans of Bobcat Goldthwait's work. Yes, very much so, yeah. And, and, and we're curious about his foray into uh, to our genre, our, our playground. And uh, Duncan, what was your impression of Willow Creek? Well, like you say, I'm, I am a fan of this guy's work. Um, I absolutely, the, the first time I knew that he was actually doing films was when he released God Bless America, which I had, I was so surprised when I found that an American had written that because it, it genuinely felt like someone from another country was was taking an, you know, an outsider's point of view on America. Um, and I thought it was a fantastic film. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought there was a lot going on in it. Um, to find out he was going to do a horror film was something that made me very curious. Um, the one thing about him, very much like Ben Wheatley, is this guy tends to do what he wants to do. There's no trying to pander to any sort of of collective group of people in a Hollywood studio or anything saying, well, this sells, so do this. Um so the fact he was also doing uh, a film on Bigfoot, kind of, um, was also one of these things that fascinated me because, I mean, to me, that's an obvious subject choice for a horror movie. I, I, I don't know why. I, I don't know why it doesn't get used more often, but that sort of thing to me is, you know, uh, there should be more Bigfoot horror movies as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, what this film does really good is, um, which we've highlighted before, certain... Uh, found footage genre uh, kind of horror films don't do is this establishes two very likable characters very 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 quickly we're, we're basically on a road trip with a boyfriend girlfriend couple and um, the boyfriend is Bigfoot Daft he um, all he really wants to do is kind of do a documentary style um, kind of recording of their experiences and he ultimately wants to end up at the recording place of the infamous footage from the 60s of Bigfoot. That's what he wants uh, more than anything. That's going to be the piece de resistance of his film. Um, And we follow them into Willow Creek and their interactions with just the people that surround 
the area, you know, people that own hotels, restaurants, everything was very much set up as a tourist location to sell stuff off based on Bigfoot. But as we find out watching it, certain of the locals are are not just kind of there for, oh, it's a marketing gimmick or whatnot. They truly believe in Bigfoot. They have seen him or have had events which surround that sort of that sort of thing. So um this movie reminds me a lot of, and I, I think it's safe to say that this is not the most original statement ever said. Um, there's a lot in this that evokes Blair Witch, mm-hmm. mainly because they end up in the woods in a tent. And um, our characters, before they can get into the woods, a, a local uh, confronts them in a very uncomfortable scene um, where he basically tells them, you know, you don't want to drive down this road, you want to turn around and go where you came from and at first you know it's uh, not not necessarily fully threatening but you know there's menace behind the words um when the guy doesn't quite respond the way he wants he starts to threaten and he gets quite abusive and then ultimately when they do start driving away he throws a stone at the car which once again might seem like a petty thing but when you see what happens later on it starts to make you wonder because when they're in the tent um at night uh, things they start hearing noises which don't sound like animals. They basically sound and I, <laughs> I, I laughed the first time I heard it. It kind of made me, <laughs> it kind of sounded like what I hear when I used to live um, in the centre of our town near pubs from people that were very drunk about three in the morning calling a friend. It's kind of like yeah, that's what it sounded like. So I laughed at that at first, but when you realise that it doesn't sound sounds less like animal more like human um although not quite human if that makes sense um and then they start hearing noises the banging of wood against tree um stones are thrown at the tent and this is kind of linking back to something that happens earlier and i don't know if i've just filled my my brain in it this way and it seems that they're getting terrorised but they know that there's things like bears up there there's one sequence that certainly sounds like a bear you don't know, you're trapped inside a tent the only source of light is coming from the camera and you told me before I watched this bow to watch it with headphones and I've got um, a rather nifty pair of headphones which give me a virtual 7.1 surround sound and watching this film in the dark and headphones, especially about those sequences, not a comfortable watching experience at all. You start to hear every little creak in the woods and it, it makes it quite unpleasant. Um, when they get up the next day, they decide that they're not sticking around. They want to go back to their vehicle, but very much in Blair Witch fashion, can't seem to find the road out. There's another sequence I'll talk about towards the end, which I've kind of omitted for that reason. Um then they ultimately end up down at the creek and you get this fantastic shot of, well, they think they hear a noise, they think they see something, they start running away from it and the camera kind of switches somehow, inexplicably, to a kind of retro-style camera mm-hmm. and it reenacts the big Bigfoot running but with, with the woman running and he's filming her and I don't know if this is Bobcat putting forward his opinion that that the you know the original video is fake because look how this human runs is very similar or if this is him nodding towards the existence of the original footage and eventually they end up at night uh, with a camera terrorized and one of our characters the 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 male character is attacked by a creature we don't see um but this is after he's turned around and this i'll be honest with you the ending of this film is quite jarring but 
it, it sticks with you in that I have no idea what it's supposed to mean at all. It is the most completely left field ending I've seen in a especially in a found footage film in a long time because it doesn't there's no lead up, there's no explicable reason why the camera turns round and you see a woman dressed only in her underwear sobbing. Yeah. For he's attacked, dragged off, and then you hear his uh, his his partner get dragged off as well. Um, I have some theories, which I'll put out first. My theory is that at the beginning of the film, they see a missing girl on a poster. Mm-hmm. Um, and my theory is that missing girl is the girl we see in the woods. Um, don't ask me why. I just had this inkling that that was her. Um, my, my second theory is that I think that it's not Bigfoot. <laughs> I, I don't know what I think, to be honest with you. I've just got a feeling that it's not Bigfoot. Um, I don't know why. I, I probably can't even justify that, Bo. But I think this film is an enjoyable film if you're invested in found footage because I think whilst it's not completely original, I think what it does, which a lot of films don't do, is it does a great deal of character building. The sequence I was talking about that I omitted was the fact that in in the romantic setting of the, the jungle and all the rest... He, he proposes to her and she knocks him back. Mm-hmm. And generally in any other horror film or anything like that, if I saw that, I would be, oh, well, that's a shame. I actually felt for the guy and I think that's a testament to how well the characters are developed. Um, I felt the atmosphere kind of drain from the tent, the awkwardness come in and they kind of try to play off. Um, I thought that was excellently done. And the tension, and especially in the last 15 to 20 minutes, is is palpable. Uh, it really, it, it kind of. I, I re- highly recommend you watch this in the dark with the volume on your telly right up, or like Bo said to me, with headphones. Um, it's not the most original horror film I've ever seen. It didn't particularly scare me, if I'm being honest, but it certainly made me aware of my surroundings, especially when I was wearing my headphone. And yeah, I thought I, if this is Bobcat first attempt at doing a horror film and first attempt at doing a found footage film, he arguably does it better than 75% of the directors <laughs> yeah. that have ever attempted to make um, a found footage film. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I had much the same reaction, I think. Uh, and the movie is almost evenly divided between being almost a comedy about people obsessed with Sasquatch mm-hmm. and in the because they interview people who are uh, who writes songs about, you know, the Patterson Gimlet film and, yeah, yeah. and that sort of thing. And it's very silly. Uh, you know, to Bobcat Goldthwait's credit, there doesn't ever seem to be a point in the movie where he's really making fun of these people. Yes. And when they kind of go into the woods, finally, uh, I do think that it, it makes a, a hard left turn into being a, a, a much more legitimate uh, style horror film or a more typical mm-hmm. horror film. And I think that shot, and it, I, I, it's worth noting that the shot inside the tent that uh, has all the noises and the, the, you know, movement against the tent and so forth is either 14 minutes or 19 minutes. It's, it, it's a single take. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's what's impressive about it. In my opinion, because Blair Witch did a lot of that, you yeah. know, real life scenarios and all the rest. But 
to me, the, the Blair Witch you were moving, they were running out the tent, they were running away. These characters are stationary and you go through the full scope of emotion with them, where they're first trying to play it off, one of them thinks they hear something, the other one's not so sure, and then they both definitely hear something and then it's getting closer and then they're not sure, what is, is it a bear, is it isn't a bear? What would make that noise? And I, I missed out when I was talking about it, but the fact that you do hear a woman crying, it's audible woman crying somewhere in the woods um, as well. So, I mean, all these things build up, and it's like you're saying, if it's between 15 and 19 minutes, you run that whole roller coaster with them of emotions. Yeah, I, I think that scene's really effective. I, I, I agree. I think the end is bizarre and open to a number of interpretations. Mine mine tended to veer towards, oh, Bigfoot is, is taking brides. Uh, but all right. uh, I am not... I have as much reason to believe that as you to believe that, you know, this is a, a woman who was uh, lost at the beginning of the film. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, who knows? But that's that's kind of the interesting thing about the movie to me as well, is that it, it doesn't much like Wheatley's film. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, not completely interested in handing you an ending that's going to give you a firm resolution. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think both of these directors are interesting for different reasons, but uh, but I, I enjoyed Willow Creek quite a bit. And if you haven't seen it, he does an interview with uh, Kevin Pollack, uh, mm-hmm. which is available on iTunes, the Kevin Pollack chat show, the, the one recently with Bobcat Goldthwait, um, which was done, eh, it's probably almost a year ago at this point, maybe. But... He talks at length about his experience working with the locals, many of whom did not know that he was making a fictional film. Oh, right. Uh, he did it under the pretense of, hey, we are doing a Bigfoot documentary and ended up screening it for sort of the Bigfoot faithfuls or squatchers, as they're referred to. <laughs> That's true. And uh, yeah, and and he is kind of ambivalent about it as well. Like, even in an interview, he had said, that he's not sure if there's a Bigfoot or not, but he tends to believe that maybe there is. Mm-hmm. But uh, to paraphrase one story he told very quickly, which I, I found funny, is there was a rumor for a while that the in the Patterson-Gimlet film, John Landis, the director John Landis, is yeah. the guy in the suit in that, <laughs> in, that, in that film. Because he had been making a movie called... Um, Oh, what's the name of his movies? Well, it's yeah, it was. Uh, it's not smut, but it was something like that. Anyway, it uh, it was uh, yeah. uh, an old Landis movie. There's a a, a monkey in that movie, mm-hmm. and so that that rumor had gotten around. Bobcat Goldthwait, through his agent, got John Landis's contact information and emailed him and said, "Hey, this is Bobcat Goldthwait. I'm doing an article about the Patterson Gimlet footage." There was a rumor that you were the guy in the costume. Was it you? Yeah, because he is, and and in the movie that he did, and I found that it's called Schlock. Schlock. He actually it. plays. He plays the character in the suit. Yeah, right. Oh, so, right. so that's that's, that's where the rumor sprang from. And so Landis responds and says, first of all, who would publish this article that you're writing? Second of all, it's not me. Third, how did you get my contact information? <laughs> And, he, you know, he said later he talked to him and was a very nice guy, but uh, <laughs> that uh, that he just had to know for sure. Like, he, he had the ability to put that rumor to rest and was <laughs> able to do it. 
Such a landish response as well, man, honestly. Oh, I know. Like, how did you get this number? Uh, but, uh, yeah, Willow Creek, is it's an interesting, oddball kind of movie. I don't think it's Goldthwaite's best by any stretch, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think for someone who has never done a horror, fo- horror movie, much less a found footage horror film, the fact that he gets more right than not... Mm-hmm. When compared to all the shit that we see, Duncan, oh, all God, the yeah. found footage movies we see, and and this is honestly one of one of my favorites. I and I understand where people could you know come back and say well, you know this movie is just kind of boring and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I I didn't have that effect. I, I honestly, when I was watching it and had the lights off and the the sound up and all that stuff, uh, I, I found it pretty scary actually. Yeah, I mean, I well, I, I don't go camping or anything like that. Um, so once again, these sort of things shouldn't really get under my skin, but it did. And just, just to kind of reiterate one of your points here, I mean, the fact that we're not a genre-specific podcast, there may be listeners listening to our podcast that aren't fully aware of the amount of found footage horror movies that come out every single year. And the the ratio of good to bad is ridiculous. I mean, I wouldn't even go as far as to say that one in every 10 is a good film. I think, you know, you're talking maybe close to one in every 30 or one in every 40 found footage film is actually a good one. So, I mean, that, that in itself highlights the fact of I mean, how much he got right. I, I don't think it's the best found footage film. Um, I think there's a few things that I would have maybe done slightly different. However, I'm saying that is an interesting one. And for, for the most part, most of the ones I see aren't interesting at all. They're completely superficial and leave you kind of wondering why you wasted an hour and a half watching them. Yeah. So before we leave this segment, what uh, what Bobcat Goldthwait movie would you recommend to people who had never seen a film of his? Um, I would say God Bless America. I think that's um, I th- I think that film is very very very. I think it's more clever than very much like what I was saying with the field in England. I think if you sit down and watch that film, you'll get out what you put in. Um, and if you go in with an open mind or even a cynical mind to an extent, when you watch that film, it just rewards you. It doesn't feel like, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sweep in condemnation of American directors because most of my favorite movies of all time are made by Americans. Um, but it doesn't feel like it's made by an American. It feels like someone looking in upon your culture. Um, I think it's, I think it's his best film. I don't know if you would disagree with that or not, but um, that's a film I would start with. I would say that if you're at all interested in anything horror, or even if you just like films with really good character development, I can't stress that enough. That's what sells the film for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than anything, like I say, it didn't particularly scare me, but the character, the fact that these two characters felt completely realised, three-dimensional characters, um, I, I would be surprised to find out that these two weren't actually in a relationship prior to making this film because it felt like you it genuinely felt like you were watching a home movie. Yeah. And a lot of these ones that claim they're home movies, the chemistry's all wrong. Why would you film this? Why would you be there with your camera? It doesn't make any sense. This one completely makes sense. Yeah. And then does not though. <laughs> yeah. Until it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would also recommend if, uh, if people haven't seen it, uh, world's greatest dad is, I've not seen it that yet. Oh, that is a wonderful black comedy, sir. And in fact, may uh, may rear its head on this show if you uh, don't Ooh, see it in time. Yeah, so <laughs> I think you should keep it. Yeah, 
Uh, all right, well, let's uh, take a, a brief pause, and then we will uh, be back to uh, wrap this up. Let's do it. Part four, Duncan and Bo talk about chimps. All right, so we are <laughs> we are back uh, to close out the show. Uh, uh, Duncan, how about some pimping? Pimping in what capacity are we talking about here? Pimping off my shows, or are we going to see which one came most correct first? Oh, yes, we should, because this is a tiebreaker. Yeah, and uh, I think this might still end up being a tiebreaker. I, I, I'm going to go with my film, I'm afraid. I think um, A Field in England is a stronger movie. Yeah, you're right. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> so the the first tiebreaker has now resulted in your first lead, by the way. This is, this. I don't know if I like this, but... <laughs> it is 3-2. It is uh, although next week, I feel confident... We're we're gonna bridge that gap, <laughs> or in two weeks. I, I I feel like my recommendation to you is a powerhouse. Oh, bringing out the big guns. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I going into this, I knew I was at a disadvantage because yeah. it's Ben Wheatley doing a surrealist horror film against Bobcat Goldthwait, who I love, but he's no Ben Wheatley. Yeah. Yeah, I, but I, in saying that, I, I, I wouldn't like, like from the descriptions of the way we were talking about that film. Um, I would say it's very much like you said. The two directors are similar in the respects of they're kind of doing what they really want to do, and they're setting up their own rules, so to speak. They're just completely different kind of style directors, and I think that's what to me I gravitate more towards the Wheatley side of that than I would necessarily to the Goldthwait side of that. But that's not to to belittle Bobcat Goldthwait at all, because like I said, that film I think is a very strong film, um, and it sits comfortably within his filmography. I think, uh, like I say, he does a lot right, which you just why can't other directors who are making horror films as a career get the fundamentals of a horror movie right, and he just does it with ease. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's a, a fascinating director. In fact, his next movie is a documentary about uh, comedian Barry Crimmins, um, who was a stand-up comic, ran a place in Boston called the Ding Ho, which was a Chinese restaurant slash comedy club. That, okay. that was the proving grounds for people like Stephen Wright and Dana Gould and Dennis Leary and a lot of big comics came up through there, was also a victim of child abuse and was a, uh, a key factor in a number of online pedophiles being arrested. Oh, fuck's sake. Great. Fascinating character. Uh, and he's doing a documentary about this guy, and I can't wait. Because anything Bobcat Goldthwait does now, I automatically see. Because yes. he's that kind of director. But but in this case, yes, you did come most correct this week. <laughs> uh, like I said, next week, feel confident. We're, but I, I don't want to take away from the fact that you are sitting high atop DBCC Mountain right now. <laughs> you, you, are, you are the king of recommending movies at this time. <laughs> I just I just want to say, remember our prior conversation where I said I don't like the sun? The fact I'm sitting on top, on top of this mountain has put me closer to the sun. That's very comfortable. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's made you a target. Now you've got <laughs> you've got a bullseye on your back. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I cannot wait for you to see the pick for next week. Or in two Ooh, weeks, rather. Uh, yeah, can't wait, can't wait. It's, oh my goodness, sir. 
you are in for a treat. This is one of the few times I can say this movie, you are going to fall in love with this movie uh, as much as uh, I love it. I can almost guarantee it. Oh, exciting. I know. I know. So, uh, but uh, all right, back to pimping. Pimping. Yeah. (laughs) So you, you do a podcast. Which ones are you doing next? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So podcast under the stairs. Well, by the time this episode arrives online, just will have released the all cheerleaders die episode with the interview with Lucky McKee. Um, The following week, you will get the special roundtable discussion, which Bo was a part of, where uh, horror podcasters from different shows all came on and discussed remakes, the good, the bad, and the unnecessary, um, which will be a lot of fun. And then after that, you're going to get the next episode of Baz V Horror, where Baz will tackle uh, Juon, the grudge. (laughs) Yeah, I saw the picture on Facebook with him... uh mimicking the the cover art yeah yeah. Uh, i'm I'm really looking forward to that really looking forward to that and the fact that his 12 year old daughter has already seen um the remake and she sat sat through that very comfortably um and she wants to see the japanese version just now and i was telling him today i was like you can't be in a scenario where your 12 year old daughter can handle the film better than you can Um, (laughs) as as unbecoming um the midnight horror show have just finished their 80s show um like 80s retrospective we've done that over i think about seven or eight episodes um we are moving on to tackle um well last week's show we did a look at 2014 halfway through the year what horror films had uh, already came out and what we thought of them and what we we're looking forward to and this week coming we are doing our first ever defend episode so defend your title so basically what we're going to do is we're going to pick horror films which are generally poo-pooed by the industry or by critics or by fans that we really like and we are going to try and defend them and convert our colleagues our co-hosts to actually check out those films again so i'm very much looking forward to that yeah um yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun because I've got two titles that I am very much looking forward to defending and I think I can defend them strongly. Um, but generally, they're they're regarded as pretty bad. So, as as yeah. long as one of them isn't the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Oh, God, no. Which is who indefensible. Would def- <laughs> who would defend that? Jimmy Jenkins. Yeah, oh, only oh only a madman or perhaps a mad woman. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, only only a woman that would use or man, sorry, that would use the term talking abouts yeah. would even begin to defend that that movie. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> what about yourself? Uh, well, uh, unfortunately, Graveshift Radio is continuing its hiatus because of some technical problems on Ryan's end. So mm-hmm. I am now down to a measly two podcasts, uh, being <laughs> this one. Uh, which, by the way, uh, you can check out, uh, you know, some news and a couple of reviews, uh, as well as the shows on DBC. Uh, let me start again uh, on dbccpodcast.com, which is short for Duncan and Bo come correct podcast.com, dbccpodcast.com. Um, and then uh, devour the podcast hurtling headlong towards its 100th episode. Oh, yes. Not far now. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be uh, uh, on the horizon. In the meantime, we are doing a series of films I've selected, um, which involved underwater monstrosities of one form or another. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> so the, the first episode will be Deep Star 6. And will be uh, out uh, pretty soon. Uh, probably not long after 
this releases, you should be able to get that episode. And uh, we will be doing three more in addition to Deep Star 6. Um, and Deep Star 6, I think, is really bottom of the barrel when it comes to <laughs> yeah. these movies. And I still I still have a lot of fondness for it, but it's uh, going back and watching it again. It is just chock full of 80s. <laughs> and it's got it's got Greg Avigan. I'm not sure if the show BJ and the Bear made it across the water. It did, yes. Um, so anytime Greg Evigan is on screen and there is not a chimpanzee, I do not approve. <laughs> and this movie suffers from the fact that this is a bearless BJ <laughs> throughout the runtime of the film. Not once, not one time does a chimpanzee appear on screen. <laughs> And that is a crime. <laughs> I don't know your uh, feelings about chimpanzees, but I love them. Um, yeah, yeah. Where, where the uh, uh, the term "cheeky monkey," I think, you know, think that heads more towards the chimpanzee than the average monkey. Um, I've, over here, they had, and I'll probably someone will, someone from the UK will tell me I'm wrong. Um, but if you uh, if you check out in your own time uh, on YouTube, if you look up uh, the UK advertisements for PG Tips, that's uh, PG Papa Golf Tips. Um, it's a type of tea. We used to have adverts over here where there would be chimpanzees dressed like humans, mm-hmm. and they would be dubbed over with human voices, and they would make cups of tea and sit down at the table. Um, and that's a Maybe they were just monkeys. I'm saying they're chimpanzees. <laughs> well, but yeah, yeah. I mean, ch- all right. Uh, to that end, you should also see if you are a lover of chimpanzees. We should just call this Duncan and Bo talk about chimps. But <laughs> uh, there is a a segment that Steve Martin did, you know, thirty plus years ago at this point, back when he was uh, doing stand up. Mm-hmm. But it was a, a television special he did called Comedy Is Not Pretty. And he did essentially a music video for the song El Paso by Marty Robbins mm-hmm. involving him and a cast of chimpanzees and orangutans. <laughs> and if you have never seen it, I can't recommend it enough. Oh, I'm getting I'm watching that as soon as we finish up here. <laughs> it, it, is, it is the one and only time in my life I've ever seen a chimpanzee riding a Shetland pony. And yeah, it's as good as it sounds. <laughs> oh my god, that sounds, am- that sounds amazing. I, I, that's one of those. That's one of those things that up until someone says it, you don't know that your whole life you've been waiting to see it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I saw. I saw this as a kid, and it set such a high bar for what entertainment should be for me. <laughs> You know, it's it really is like, is this better than a chimpanzee dressed as a cowboy riding a Shetland pony? This is getting even better. He never told me he was dressed like a cowboy. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're familiar with the Marty Robbins song, it's all about, uh, you know, a, a desperado who rolls into town, falls in love with uh, a, a Mexican maid, also played by a chimpanzee in the, in the Steve Martin music video. And then ends up shooting someone, defending her, and has to go on the run. Oh. And so the the whole segment is that story playing out, and Steve Martin is the only human being in the cast. 
Oh God, I need to say that. Yeah, this is this is this could be getting reviewed on the next show. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> like, like that'll be your next recommendation to me. Like, look, I know you've seen it. <laughs> But we have to talk about this. Maybe I should. Maybe I should substitute my recommendation to you, which is you know a two-hour, solidly entertaining and thought-provoking film for this three minutes of chimpanzees and Steve Martin. Because I think either way, I come away the winner. I should have never told you about this because now I don't have that ace in the in the pocket anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh man the things you find out in this show is incredible honestly <laughs> yeah so yeah if, for our listeners and for you in particular duncan just go to youtube and uh search for steve martin el paso and i will do that will bring up the video that is going to change your life there's no getting around it <laughs> <laughs> and and that will be the title of our episode the video that changed your life <laughs> um, all right anything else so good uh no no just thanks very much for listening and make sure you check some of the shows we've already done if you're a new listener because um we've at the moment just now there is not one film we've talked about in, in the, the previous episodes which we wouldn't recommend to our listeners which is which is unusual yeah yeah so if you go back through the catalog there are now 10 films that we could heartily recommend to you definitely a hundred percent and they might not be well if you're like myself and Bo, who were both cinephiles and one or another person hadn't seen either one of these films so you know if you're american there's a chance that there's a you know some of the recommendations i'm putting over you've not seen yet you should check them out and subsequently if you live outside of america there's a good chance that some of the ones that Bo's been mentioning you've not seen so you need to go and check them and let us know Come back and give us some feedback on our shows. We'd appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Let us know if you've seen these movies, what you thought of them. Unless you didn't like them, in, in which case, keep it to yourself. <laughs> no, nobody wants a Debbie Downer. Uh, Duncan, my thanks to you, as always, and to our listeners. And we will be back in two weeks with another episode. One that, uh, let's just say, I could probably tie up. Uh, Duncan, uh, a new episode of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Uh, thank you again for listening. Bye, everyone. My boy, lie still and sleep. It grieves me sore to hear thee weep. If thou be silent, I'll be glad. Thy moaning makes my heart full sad. Below my boy, thy mother's joy, thy father bread. Be great tonight.